is Tommy Allen, and I'm the senior pastor of New Hope Presbyterian Church in Kent, Washington, and this is our live stream. Welcome. Each week, I have done something a little bit different. We're not calling this online worship. It mostly is just the sermon, um, but I do something a little bit different at the beginning and something a little bit different at the end of each time that we're together. And so if you were here last week, if you listened to last week's live stream, you remember that I mentioned an app called uh, Prayer Mate that we use, that I use, to pray for enemies of all things. Well, I wanted, I thought I would open today by using uh, some prayers provided by an organization called SIM uh, for the COVID virus, right? It, it, we can't act like that's not happening all around us. And so I thought I would open uh, by praying, but I'm going to use some of the prayers that are found uh, in Prayer Mate. So uh, if you want to, you pray along with me. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for you to intervene to stop the spread of coronavirus. We pray in Jesus' name that the virus would recede and diminish from this day forward and that numbers of those infected would decline rapidly. We trust you, Lord, to intervene today with your loving care. Father, we also pray for healthcare workers that you would bless them and keep them and make your face on them. We pray for those who are sick, that they will have access to care and the treatment that they need. We pray for peace and perseverance for them amid suffering. We pray for those in isolation who are cut off from normal routines and support systems, that they would seek their strength from you, Lord. We pray encouragement over thousands in quarantine, waiting to find out if they have the virus or not. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 46. Amen and amen. This morning, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Let me read that to us. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that, by your, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that you would come and open the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf. I pray that the mute would sing your praises as a result of, of hearing your word and responding to it. I pray for myself that you be in my head and in my thinking and in my heart and in my understanding and in my mouth and in my speaking. In Jesus' name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. So let me start with a question again. All of us um, do good deeds now and then, right? Or, or acts of righteousness, whether it's just helping out family members or maybe helping a little old lady across the street. Um, when you do good deeds, what motivates you? You ever think about that? Sometimes we just do it sort of natural reaction. Other times we do things because we want to be seen. Like if you think about, um, if you ever watch Seinfeld, George Costanza, remember the episode with the tip jar? He put a tip in someone's jar, but she didn't see him. And so he went to get it out so he could put it in again when she saw it. And the girl went crazy and called him a thief, right? What was motivating him? Well, what, what motivated him is he wanted to be seen. He wanted to, to gain approval for having done something well. Is that what motivates you ever? does me sometimes, to be honest. And so the big question sort of that governs maybe this text is, um, do we do our good deeds, do we do good things um, in order to gain people's approval or because we actually already have approval? So, um, you know, one of my 
favorite sci-fi movies is the movie Gattaca, if you've ever seen it. And basically the movie Gattaca is about two brothers. It's set in the not-too-distant future where they can genetically engineer children basically to be perfect. And every now and then, parents will uh, have an accident, if you will, a whoops baby. And so the, the movie is about two brothers. One's name is Vincent, the other is Anton. Vincent is what's known as a faith baby. His parents just got pregnant and they had him. And as a result, he had bad eyes and he had a, had a heart condition. And yet he had this great spirit. He wanted to go into space. His second, his brother, Anton, was genetically engineered. His parents went in, they picked out everything. And Anton was functionally speaking perfect. And as the brothers grew up, they were constantly competing. And it was interesting, if you watch the movie, to see what motivates each of the brothers. Right? Uh, Vincent, the older brother, the faith child who's not perfect, he's motivated to just finish what he starts. He's motivated by the completion of some task. He wants to go to space, and so that motivates him. And what motivates Anton, interestingly enough, seems to be fear. And, and being seen as being not good enough. Now, why is that? Well, because he was born to be perfect, and he just feels like if he's not perfect, that, that his people are not going to like him. And it's interesting, and in Vincent's words, he sort of narrates in the background, and he says of his brother, it's, he says that he bore the burden of perfection. Let me ask you that. you ever feel that way? you ever feel like you bear the burden of perfection? And even if you don't feel like you bear the burden of perfection, um, are you ever worried about failing? You know, and if you're worried about failing, why are you worried about failing? Honestly, most of the reason that we fear failure is because we're worried about what other people think. We're worried that other people are going to see us as a failure. Sometimes there's real issues, right, where if you fail to get a job, you won't be able to feed your family. A lot of the things that we do, though, we're just flat out concerned about what people think about us. And I can only speak for myself, but I know that to be true. So all of us, at some level, on one hand, we're trying to look good on the outside, but on the inside, we're a mess. And today, Jesus is going to sort of address that. And so as we jump into this text, we're going to look at three things today. And the first thing we're going to look at is the danger of goodness. The second is the folly of goodness. And the third thing, we're going to look at the grace of goodness. So let's consider first the danger of goodness. Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus is opening this, this section up with a warning. To this point, uh, up to this point, remember he sort of gave this exposition of the law and he gave six different examples of the law and where he would say, you know, you've heard it said, do not murder, but I say you shouldn't be angry. We sort of took things a lot deeper. And the temptation after that, if you're a disciple, would be, man, I just need to be good. And Jesus now is going to sort of give us a warning about the danger of goodness, the danger of thinking, I just need to be a good person. Because you can still miss the boat. You can still, still miss the gospel because of goodness. And so the first thing you notice is, is it's, on one hand, it's a warning, but the, on the other hand, Jesus actually expects his disciples to do good deeds. He expects them to do acts of righteousness, like consider Matthew five sixteen. just earlier in this text. Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your fathers in heaven. 
So Jesus expects his disciples to do good works. He actually expects his disciples to do good works that other people see, that, that the community might see what they're doing and feel blessed because of that. So what is the warning? Well, the warning is, is he says, beware that you're practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In other words, if you're doing things in order to be seen by other people, if you're doing things in order to, to get attention from other people, that's when you're sort of missing the point Jesus is going to show us. And he, the warning basically comes with, with uh, the reward or the fact that there's a lack of reward, that the problem, he says, if you, if you do this in order to be seen by them and other people, he says, then you'll have no reward from your Father in, in heaven. In other words, why is doing your good deeds in order to be seen by other people a problem? Well, the first, Jesus says, is just flat out, you're not going to get your reward. Right? Whatever that reward is, we'll talk about it later. But the fact is, you're just not going to get it. And so the second problem is, in some ways, even bigger, is that it shows a sort of a desperate need for approval and affirmation. That at some level, all of us have this need for approval. We have a need for affirmation. And the more that we can try and get that approval um, from other people, the more it shows how desperate we are for it. Now, think, think about what the gospel says. The gospel says, basically, um, if you read Moby Dick, Herman Melville says, all of us Presbyterians and pagans alike are, are cracked about the head and desperately in need of mending. In other words, all of us are desperate in need uh, for, of redemption. We're desperate in need of, of forgiveness. But we're also desperately in need of affirmation and approval. And what we see in the gospel is basically this, is that Jesus came and he lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. And at his resurrection, he began this process of making all creation new, including us. And if you remember at Jesus' baptism, his father said of him, um, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In other words, God is completely pleased with Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is, is that whoever puts their faith in Jesus, whatever God thinks of Jesus, he thinks of you. And so if God is completely and utterly pleased with Jesus, his beloved son, that if you put your trust in Jesus, God is completely and utterly uh, proves of you. And so what does that mean? Um, basically, to this, the extent that you understand the gospel, the extent that you're, you do good deeds in order to be approved by other people, shows the extent to which you actually don't understand the fact that you have the approval that God has already given you. In, in other words, we either have the approval of God and we don't need anything else, or we don't have the uh, approval of God and we better get it from someplace because all of us need it if we're honest. And so, you, you know, what does that look like? On one hand, I honestly, this is just in my humble opinion, <laughs> right? I think a lot of what drives social media is people's desperate need for approval. Right? If you're constantly, why do you post what you post on Facebook or Instagram or anything else? Do you post it um, just because you think people need to see another article about how horrible the president is or how great the president is? Or do you post it so all of your friends can see what you, your position is and how righteous you are? Right? And so a lot of what we do, you know, you know <laughs> if you think about it, if you if you write a post about about your opponents and you say these people are self righteous idiots, really what you've said is I am a self righteous idiot because it, it just shows your own self righteousness. But let me take it a little bit further. Let me make it more personal. You know, it doesn't. Social media is not the only place it shows up. It can show up in ministry. 
you know, one of the most life-altering experiences I ever had was about 25 years ago. I was, I had just gone to, I'd been graduated from seminary. I had just been ordained at this great church in Atlanta and was just knocking it out of the park, having a great time in ministry. And at some point, uh, the music director pulled me aside in the hallway and he said, hey, Tommy, can I talk to you about something? And I said, well, of course you can. And he said, you know, I don't think you really believe that Jesus loves you. And I said, what? What do you mean by that? I said, I'm knocking it out of the park. And he said, that's why I think that. He said, you know, you, you, you do all these things for Jesus and you constantly brag about them. You constantly tell people about them. You can't, you can't, not, you can't do them in secret. You have to let everyone know all the things you're doing. And I was like, man, that, that really sent me into a tailspin. I mean, it, honestly, it made me like depressed. Like, do I really not get it? And that sent me, I called a mentor and he said, you know, what I want you to do is get a copy of Luther's lectures on Galatians. And I want you to read a page a day until you're better. And I did that. And you know what? It worked. Because what I learned from Luther's lectures on Galatians is that instead of being a slave, instead of being someone who has to constantly get the approval of man and constantly get the approval of those around me, I already had the approval of God through the personal work of Jesus, that I was not a slave. In fact, I was a son. And as soon as I learned that, it changed everything. It, it honestly changed everything. It changed my preaching. It changed my ministry. It changed my life. It changed the people I was preaching to. And so just because um, you're a minister doesn't mean you can also uh, suffer from trying to get the approval of other people. In fact, maybe even more so. But the remedy to all of that is the gospel. The, the remedy to needing approval from other people is the gospel. You see, what, the other thing, one of the biggest dangers of goodness is just the fact that it's good. Right? Jesus expects us to do good works. And when you do good works, who's going who's gonna to complain about that? Very few people are going to love you enough uh, like that music director loved me to actually point out that my goodness wasn't as good as I thought it was or that my motivation really wasn't what it ought to be. The problem with goodness a lot of times is just that it's, it's good. And good people don't know that they have a problem. Bad people, of course they know they have a problem. If you go out and rob a bank, you'd know, like, eh, that's probably not a good idea. Or, eh, I'm probably not a pretty good person. Bad people know they're bad, and so they're not surprised. Good people think they're good, and so it's easy for us to just go about our business and think I'm good to go. Nothing could be further from the truth. Goodness can be dangerous if it actually um, separates you from actually understanding who Jesus is and your need for him and your need for genuine approval from God. So Jesus goes from that. Jesus dispels the notion of, of um, good people just being okay because they do good things with, by showing us the folly of goodness. Next, look at verse 2, if you're following along. Jesus says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward. So, Notice again, Jesus says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. So Jesus doesn't say, he says, when you give to the needy, not if you give to the needy. So he expects that his followers are going to be giving. Uh, in this case, giving to, to the needy. And what it just, you know, for a bit of, of, of context here, the giving that he's talking about is almsgiving. Basically, in the Old Testament, there were three types of giving. There was the tithe, when the tithe basically was 10%, and it went to take care of the priests and the temple primarily, sometimes a little bit for the poor. There were also gleaning laws. 
that God actually put it into his law that if you were a farmer or you had some kind of crops that you were supposed to leave a certain amount behind so the poor people could come and glean that and so that they could feed themselves off of what you left behind. And just as a side note, that's if you look at Ruth chapter 2, that's, that's how Boaz meets Ruth. She's gleaning in his fields and, and Boaz is like, hey, hubba hubba, leave some extra stuff for her. And the next thing you know, King David has a great grandmother. So that's just a cool bit of trivia, I think. Um, and then you had almsgiving. That's what Jesus is talking about here. What was almsgiving? You see, in the, in the Old Testament, of course, and in Jesus' time, they didn't have Social Security. They didn't have Medicare, Medicaid. They didn't have anything. So there was no social network in order to take care of people other than their family or maybe their, their faith, the synagogue. And so if someone was poor... Um, it was the duty of families to take care of their own elderly, but it was also the duty of pious religious people to, to give to them. And most of the reason they time they needed giving was because they had some major issue. right? If you look at the people who are beggars in the New Testament, they tend to be blind, they tend to be deaf, and they tend to be lame. These are people who there was no social system to take care of them. And so pious religious people were supposed to do it. And so... Jesus says, when you do that, don't do it like this. This is actually a pretty funny passage. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. Now, by the way, just as a bit of trivia, if you look up in an idiom dictionary, this passage is where we get the the idiom, tooting your own horn. Right? It's like, ooh, Tommy's tooting his own horn today. That comes from this passage where Jesus says, when you give to the poor, he says, don't sound the trumpet before you. Don't toot your own horn. I mean, apparently, Pharisees were sort of like George Costanza. They would wait until everyone was looking to give to the poor so everyone would know how awesome and how generous they were. And if no one was looking, they would sound the trumpet. That's probably figuratively Jesus' meaning, but, you know, I can imagine them going, walking down the street and going, <coughs> you know, and making sure everyone was looking so that they got credit forgiving to the poor and basically uh, what would that that look like they're doing things to be honored what would that look like maybe in in our context right so imagine imagine a a homeless guy came to church one day and he he said you know he he meets me and i say can can i help you with something he says man i just really need some shoes i i just need some shoes and i said what size are you and he's like i'm size 10 and I'm like, well, I live close to church. Let me go find you to see if I have any shoes. And I go home, and I get him this great pair of shoes, and I go back to the church. And instead of giving him the shoes, I say, hey, wait, 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 wait. And I call Pastor Samuel outside. And I say, Samuel, okay, I'm getting ready to give this homeless guy some shoes. Make sure you get a picture of it. And so Samuel takes a picture. And then I say, get a, how about you get a, get a picture of me actually helping him put them on? And we get all these great pictures, and then I posted them on Instagram, sort of look at, gave some shoes to a homeless guy today, hashtag generous. What would you think of that? Well, some of you would think you'd be like, oh, that's a little bit, like, not cool. Interestingly enough, I bet you a lot of people would like it. A lot of people would say, awesome, look how great our pastor is, and you would share it. And it would go all the way around, and it would mean, in some sense, nothing. Right? If I did that in order to be seen by men, but we do a lot of things like that. And I mean, the sort of the whole Instagram influencer business is built around that. But you get the, the point there. Um, let me ask you this. Have you ever um, 
Have you ever posted something online and been disappointed because so few people liked it? <laughs> I have, to be honest. Now, here's the good news for you. On, on one hand, if you've ever done that, you're a hypocrite, right? Because Jesus basically is saying, he, he, we tend to think of hypocrisy in terms of someone who, who is pure on the outside, but inside they're really scandalous, or in private they're really scandalous. And there's truth to that. But Jesus adds another layer, and he says, you're also a hypocrite if you do things um, only in order to be seen by other people, and only in order to get sort of likes. You, that makes you a hypocrite. And so here's good news for you if you're a hypocrite, which all of us are at some level. The church is not full of hypocrites. There's always room for more. When we get together, we welcome all of you hypocrites. Another thing um, you notice in this passage is, uh, he says, truly I say to you, they've received their reward, is basically that every good deed that we ever do, every righteous deed that we ever do is rewarded. Think about that. Everything gets a reward. It either gets a reward from the people around us, or it gets a reward from God the Father. But it will be rewarded. Now, the interesting thing is, which reward do you want, and which reward is going to be longer-lasting, right? So what is what is God's reward, right? You have God's affirmation and approval based on the perfect performance of Jesus that never changes, regardless of what your day has been like, right? All of us have good days. All of us have bad days. But, but the reward we get from God, among other things, is his perfect approval and affirmation always, and it never changes. Or we can have the affirmation of man, which is constantly fleeting, and with one screw-up, it's gone. In other words, you could spend your whole life uh, going after the affirmation of men, and in the twinkling of an eye, it could be gone. You know, I, made, I pulled up a list this week, and these are just a few, by the way of celebrities who've fallen from grace in the past few years. I mean, some of these, I'm going to read you, some of these people, you know, I didn't like very much at all, to be honest with you. Some of them were sort of like heroes to me. And one day, they were at the top of the world, and they had the approval of every human being on the planet. And the next day, they had nothing. So people like Mel Gibson making anti-Semitic remarks. Bill Cosby, the Huxtables, come on. How many of you are disappointed in that, right? Harvey Weinstein? Not very surprised there. Kevin Spacey, Bill O'Reilly, Matt Lauer, Roseanne Barr, Jared Folk, the subway guy. Right? Think about it. Michael Jackson. Eh, not too big a surprise. Josh Duggar. And maybe more the hardest for me, Tiger Woods, Lance Armstrong, and O.J. Simpson. Right? We think about O.J. Simpson now as like, I don't know what you think of him. He's a criminal or he did whatever. When I was growing up, he was the juice, man. He was, the, he was, the, he was it. And he's, he's not anymore. And he doesn't have the affirmation of anybody anymore. And so the question you have to have is, is am I working for the approval of men? And what is that ultimately going to get me? And how long is that going to last? Or do I embrace the fact that I have the approval of God? If I have God's approval through the person and work of Jesus, I can do things in secret. And people don't have to see him, and it's okay. It's, it, in fact, I, I still have that approval. Um, Remember the earlier question I asked you, do you do good deeds to gain approval or because you have it? And the answer, I hope you answer, is, is because you have it, that you don't need to, to work for God's approval. You have it. Notice the last thing here, the grace of goodness. He says in verse 3, Jesus, he says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret 
thwart you. Now, what is Jesus thinking here? What is he talking about? Right? Is he just being tricky here? And he's he's really not. This is this in his day, this would have been a pretty just clear illustration of what he's talking about. The language of you not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing, it's, it's a transactional language. In, in other words, if you're going to, to purchase something, if you're, if you're going to buy something in Jesus' day, we do everything online. Your right hand, is you typically would hand over the money, and your left hand, you would grab the thing. And what Jesus is basically saying is he says, when you give to the needy with your right hand, don't expect anything in return. In other words, it's not a transaction. You're just giving out of the goodness of your heart, and God will reward you for that. That's how your left hand doesn't know what you're doing. And he ends with the, a, a promise. And the, what's the promise? He says, um, if you do it this way, so that you're giving maybe in secret, verse 4, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, what is the, the reward that we will get from the father? You know, people debate this, and I think it's probably pretty simple um it's it's the thing that we wanted it's, it's the approval of god it's to get to the end of our lives to, to stand before god's throne and hear him say what well done my good and faithful servant now does that mean um that you've worked your butt off all your life in order to get that approval i don't think so I think, let me tell you what it's going to say. If you've ever heard me preach, or if you've listened to me preach for, you know, a, a couple of years, you've heard me tell this story, because it's one of my favorites, and every time I get the opportunity to do it. You see, at the end, we, we talk about reward in the Christian faith, and what does it mean to get our reward? And maybe, if, if you're like me, you think you, it means you stand before God, and the reward is his ultimate approval. Well done, my good and faithful servant. What is it going to feel like in that moment? Let me tell you the story of David Ireland. David Ireland was a man, he had a, he had a neurological disease that paralyzed him, and he didn't expect to live. His wife became pregnant. He didn't expect to live, and so he wrote a book to his unborn child called Letters to an Unborn Child. And he wrote various different things. And at one chapter, he writes about his, the mother. Now, he doesn't know the, the child yet, but here's what he says to this child. He wants the child to know. He says, your mother is very special. Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner, what it entails, what it does for us. It means she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, wheel me out of the house and down the steps, open the garage, put me in the car, go around the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, close the garage, get back in the car and drive to the restaurant. Then it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds a wheelchair, opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, sits me in the wheelchair, puts, pushes the pedals out, closes the door, locks the car, wheels me into the restaurant, then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner. She feeds me through the entire meal. When it's over, she pays the bill, pushes the wheelchair out to the car again, and reverses the same routine. When it's over, she says with true warmth, Honey, Thank you for taking me to dinner tonight. I never quite know what to say. I imagine that is what it will be like when we stand before God. And he says, Tommy, well done, my good and faithful servant. It'll be like, really? I didn't deserve any of this. And that's because the gospel is all about grace and even our goodness 
is about grace. It's God's grace working through us because we have his approval. Think about that. Let me pray for us. Father, I do pray that you would help us to avoid hypocrisy and to to avoid um, seeking the approval of men because we know deeply in our hearts that we have your approval. And we know at the end of our lives, um, even the best we've done has been by your grace. In Christ's name we pray all of these things. Amen. Amen. So at this point, if we were at worship at this point, um, we would take the time to sing the doxology and we would do an offertory now. If you are a member of our church, if you're a supporter of our church at this time, you know, if if it's an act of worship to you, um, I'm sure you can follow one of the links somewhere in the comments section um, and you can give that way if you'd like to. I'm going to end with a profession of faith uh, from the Heidelberg Catechism again. I've been doing that since we've been meeting. And the profession of faith I'd like to read to you this morning is question 60 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And the question is this, how are you right with God? And the answer, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Even though my conscience accuses me of having grievously sinned against God, all God's commandments, and of never having kept any of them. And even though I am still inclined toward all evil, nevertheless, without my deserving it at all, out of sheer grace... God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ, as if I had never been, as if I had never sinned nor been a sinner, as if I had been perfectly obedient, as Christ was obedient for me. All I need to do is accept this gift of God with a believing heart. So, if you've not accepted Jesus, if you've not accepted this gift of His perfect righteousness, I would encourage you to consider it. To think about it. Um, if you want, you can email hello at newhopekent.org um, if you'd like someone to get back with you to talk about that. So with all of that said, I will end this morning with a benediction similar to what I would do in our church. And I would say that out of the words of Zephaniah, that the Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is a mighty and victorious warrior. The Lord your God will quiet you with his love. And the Lord your God shouts over you with great shouts of joy. Amen and amen.